Many of you know that there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about them. I mean, you can know a lot of facts about a person without ever actually knowing them. The rise of social media makes this more and more common. Through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or some other social media network, we can know on a moment-by-moment basis what people all over the world are doing, wearing, or thinking, whether we have ever met them before or not. We know what our favorite athletes did for excitement last night. We know what our favorite musicians did backstage at the concert last night. We know what our favorite actor or actresses wore last night and what they plan to do today. But despite all that we know about them, we don't really know them and they don't know us. And I'm afraid that's the way many people are about Jesus. We've been to Sunday school, we've been to church, we've sang the songs, we've read the Bible. But despite all that we know about Jesus, we really don't know Jesus. And one of the results of this is that we aren't really sure Jesus knows us either. We know that John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. We know that Jesus loves us. This we know for the Bible tells us so. But we think of Jesus loving us in the same way that a musician or an actor loves their fans. It's kind of a generic sort of thing, but nothing that's really based upon an intimate knowledge of us. Now, sadly, many accept that this is the way that it is. They settle for knowledge about Jesus rather than striving to actually know Jesus. If you're here today and your idea is that Jesus is information to be learned rather than a person to have a relationship with, then I have good news for you today. There is more. Jesus is a real person that you can really know and have a real relationship with. And as you have a real relationship with Jesus, it changes everything about who you are and about how you are in your life. This is what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to John chapter 10, verse 1. That's where we're going to start. That's page 819 if you've got a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Now, I'm only going to read the first four verses of John chapter 10 this morning, but we're really going to look at places all over John chapter 10 today. Now, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, that same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before him, before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Title of the message this morning is, I Can Know Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us. We thank you that he is a real person that we can really know. We thank you that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again, that he now lives making intercession for us. We thank you that he calls us to come to him and to lay our burdens down. We thank you that he gives us life and life more abundantly. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that delivers us from a spirit of fear that brings us into bondage, but but allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, when talking to you. We thank you for your word that guides us. 
We thank you for the change that you make within us. We thank you, God, for all that you have given and all that you have done. Holy Father, today we have gathered in your name and we have gathered with a desire to learn from your word. Father, we want to understand that there is more than maybe what we understand. Father, we we want to know Jesus, Father. We don't want to be content to know about him. We want to know him and have a a wonderful relationship with him. Father, I know that this is your plan and this is your desire for each and every one of us in here today. So, God, as we look at your word. Send your Holy Spirit that he would come and he would make your word living and active into our lives. Father, today, your Holy Spirit would be a spirit of of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you today. Father, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and we would know the hope of your calling, the riches of your inheritance and the exceeding greatness of your power toward us as believers. Father, let your Holy Spirit today peel back any spiritual blindness that we may have so that we can see what we could have with Jesus. Father, let your Holy Spirit today use your word like a hammer to break down any strongholds we have in our minds that keep us from understanding the relationship that we can have with Jesus and and, and let him bring our every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Father, let your Holy Spirit today take the word and use it like a fire to burn away the junk from our lives, all of the stuff that keeps us from being who you want us to be and all that you want us to do. Father, send your Holy Spirit today to give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that I would not be a hindrance in any way today to what you want to accomplish in us and through us and for us. Work mightily in our service today. Let your spirit and your word work together to bring change into our lives. And as we leave here today, let us know that we know Jesus. Let us know that we have a relationship with him. And let that relationship change who we are and how we are. Let us go out and be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. All that we do, everywhere that we go. And we'll give you all the praise for you deserve it. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. When Jesus calls himself the shepherd here, the good shepherd, he talks about in a later part of the passage. He is intentionally taking the images of God as shepherd from the Old Testament and applying them to himself. First, he is showing us in this that he is God. Right? Jesus never hesitated to claim that he was, in fact, God. The Lord that was our shepherd from Psalm 23, that is Jesus. The second truth that Jesus is showing us in this is that he cares for those who believe in him in the same way that a shepherd cares for his sheep. Now, notice some of the things that Jesus says about his relationship with the sheep in this. Right In verse three, the sheep hear his voice. Right. He he calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. Verse four, he he goes before him. They follow him and they know his voice. The idea of the sheep knowing his voice is really contrasted with verse five by saying that they know him so intimately that they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they don't know the voice of a stranger. 
What we're told in verse 14, that Jesus knows his sheep and he is known by his sheep. In verse 16, his sheep will hear his voice. In verse 27, they are they are my sheep, he says. And again, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's nothing about the picture of the good shepherd and the sheep that gives us the idea that Jesus is information to know. There's nothing about this that would lead us to believe that the best we can have is a knowledge about Jesus instead of an intimate relationship with Jesus. And when we move from a relationship, from a knowledge about Jesus to a relationship with Jesus, well, that changes us. That changes really everything about our life. And so the main idea today is that I can know Jesus and that changes everything. That changes everything. All that we're going to talk about this morning is built upon this idea that I can know Jesus and that changes everything. It's built upon the idea that we can have a legitimate relationship with Jesus. Now, this chapter, it shows us far more than I would have time to cover this morning. So what we're going to do is survey certain parts to pull out the truths that we've got to understand. So we can know that we can know Jesus and how that changes us. And what we learn, it changes us. It changes who we are and how we are. First, I want you to know that, that I communicate with Jesus. When we know someone, we communicate with them. And when we communicate with Jesus, well, that begins to change who we are and how we are in our lives. When we think about communicating with Jesus, we often Focus exclusively on prayer, talking to Jesus. And prayer certainly is a most important spiritual discipline. Our relationship to Jesus will be weak and without, uh, really without anything that's thriving or good or powerful apart from a vibrant prayer life. I, I think often, I'm, I'm convinced that our relationship with Jesus is really only as good as our time with Jesus. But if we aren't putting in the time to, to pray, to talk to Him, to spend that time with Him in prayer, our relationship with Jesus, it will never grow beyond the beginning stages. It will never grow beyond the fact that He's someone I know about to someone that I truly know. But today, I'm not going to talk about praying because in John chapter 10, the communication we see isn't so much our communication with the good shepherd, but his communication with us. Notice the number of times it tells us that Jesus speaks to us. In verse 3, it says that we, we hear his voice. In verse 4, it says that we, we know his voice. And again, we know his voice so well. That we recognize an imposter's voice. When someone tries to be like Jesus, we recognize that's false and it's not really him. And in verse 27, we hear his voice. We know him and he knows us. There is a, a lot that Jesus tells us in these verses. But the key thought we have to get is that Jesus speaks to his people today. And that we know His voice. We can know Him as He speaks to us. The picture is knowing both the sound of His voice and the words that He's speaking. It means that we can recognize when it is Jesus that is talking to us. And we will recognize it and it will be clear. 
And this will be clear whether he's speaking words of, of chastising us for going astray. Whether it's words of encouragement when we feel weak. Whether it's words of, uh, of comfort during tribulation. Or sending us to do something. We can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is Jesus speaking to us. That this is Jesus guiding us. That this is Jesus helping, equipping and comforting us in our time of need. I also want to point out, and this is to me my favorite part of him speaking in this chapter. It's who he speaks to. Because when we tend to think about Jesus speaking and leading us in this way, we focus on like maybe an apostle or a prophet or maybe a preacher or a missionary. But that's not the picture in this passage. Instead, it says that Jesus speaks to his sheep. His sheep know his voice. Now, the idea of a sheep with us as believers, that's just the bare basics. Right, That is someone who has repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ. They are a sheep. And so someone that is genuinely saved, they can know the Savior's voice. Right? I mean, if you read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that for yourself? The Lord is my shepherd. If you can, if the Lord is your shepherd, then you can hear his voice. He will speak to you. You should Hear his voice. I believe that what we see in this passage is that there should be an expectation in our lives. We should expect that our shepherd will speak. We should expect that he will comfort us when we're discouraged. We should expect that he will correct us when we stray. We should expect that he will guide us on what we're to do and how we're to live our lives. We should expect. The good shepherd will speak to us because we are his sheep. Another aspect of this that I find so encouraging is what he says in verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name. This means that any time Jesus speaks to you, he is speaking to you as an individual. He is speaking to you personally. He is speaking to you intentionally. Jesus, he doesn't holler out, hey, you, and hope someone answers. He doesn't just shout and then if we turn around, then we were the ones he was looking for. Any time Jesus has ever dealt with us, any time Jesus has ever talked to us, he was talking to us as an individual. He was talking to us intentionally. Now, to be sure, the gospel is for whosoever will. But the whosoever will of the gospel is not a God and a shepherd who just says, Hey, you. But it's whosoever will that will listen, that will hear and that will respond. Think about when Jesus called the twelve. He called them individually. He called them personally. He didn't just stand out and say, hey, does anybody want to come and follow me and be my disciple? Oh, you guys, come on. He went to Matthew, come follow me. He went to Peter and James and John, you guys come follow me. And and even more than that, 
When he had a whole group of people that followed him and he was going to choose 12 to be apostles, he went and he spent the night praying and then he went down. And among all of the ones that were there, he said, you, 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 you and you. That's how he dealt with people. The night that I was saved was at a revival at the Fort Gibson Free Will Baptist Church. And when when I came that night to Jesus and I, I knelt at an altar and I cried out to him, it wasn't because God was shouting Hey, you, and I was the one that turned around. It was because Jesus came to me and he said, Stacy, come to me. I'll forgive you. Come and lay your burdens down. Take my yoke upon you. Anytime Jesus calls, he calls to individuals. He calls to you personally and he calls to you intentionally. I don't know how you feel about that. But to think that the great God of the Bible seeks me out to talk to me as a person. Whether I'm reading Scripture and I'm down and something encourages me. That's not a random chance. That's not a coincidence. That that is Jesus saying, I'm here for you, Stacy. When I stray and the word convicts me and I know that I'm wrong. That's not just random condemnation falling upon me. That is Jesus coming to me and saying, Stacy, you know that ain't right. You need to repent and go on the other way. Anytime God has ever spoken to you, whether it was calling you to salvation, whether it was convicting you of something in your life, showing you what you need to do for his glory, helping you, equipping you, anything. Every single time, it was Jesus talking to you personally, calling you by name. The good shepherd knows you. He cares for you. He loves you and he deals with you as an individual. That is the kind of relationship that we are meant to have with Jesus. You can't have that kind of relationship with someone that you know about. You can only have that kind of relationship, someone that you know. You know, I'm on Twitter and I follow, I don't guess I follow any movie stars. Well, I do. I follow a couple of different movie stars on Twitter. I follow Captain America. And and when I read his tweets, I never think, that was for me. Chris Evans was sending me a message. Because he's not. He just don't care. I know about him. But I don't know him. He doesn't know me. So none of the things he says are ever really for me. But Jesus, I know. And Jesus knows me. And Jesus cares about me. So when there is a message from Jesus for me, that is him seeking me out intentionally, individually. And it's the same for you. That's the kind of relationship that we can have. That's the kind of relationship, really, that we are meant to have. And when we know Jesus in this way, when we have this kind of a relationship with him, that changes everything. That changes everything about how we live our lives. Secondly, I follow Jesus. Not only do we hear Jesus, but he leads us. Right. It says in in verse three that he he leads them out. Verse four, that he he goes before him, that his sheep 
follow him. But they don't again, they don't follow a stranger. We know so much of Jesus's leading that if something tries to lead us astray, we say, whoa, that ain't my shepherd. That's something else. Right in verse 27. Again, I know them and they they follow me. Now, again, man, I, I hope I can communicate this as well as I've got it in my mind. But the idea of Jesus leading us. This isn't meant to be something that's like, got to do what Jesus says. Man, if that's our view of what it means to follow Jesus, I, I would I would contend that you know about Jesus, but you don't really know Jesus. Because when we know Jesus following him, man, that's the best thing ever. Again, to think that the great and the awesome God of the Bible cares enough about me to lead me in my life. To show me the, the ways that I should go. Again, we're talking as an individual. How awesome is it that Jesus cares enough about your life as an individual to say, go this way and not that way. Do this and not that. Right? And, and with this, right, we, we see this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. If you have a verse that you want to memorize and meditate on, focus on this one. Here's God speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. How great is that? I mean, God leading us, Jesus leading us. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wants to lead us. He will lead us. It is possible for us to have a close enough relationship with Jesus that we follow him all throughout our lives. This is what he wants, what he would do for all of us if we would. And we're to be so close to him, such an intimate relationship that he'll guide us with his eye. So get the picture, right? The relationship that we're supposed to have with Jesus, it isn't one where he has to slap us and hit us and, hey, go over there. It's one where he would say, Oh, right. You're in the infantry. You, when you're patrolling in the woods, you can't be hollering and shouting. You, you have to learn hand and arm signals so that you can communicate with each other without saying a word. And there were new guys came in. There were two kinds of new guys that came in. There were those who got it and those who didn't. And those who got it, because, I mean, hand and arm signals, they're not just like... Deep rocket science, you know, look over there, you know, get down. I mean, it's not it's not brain surgery. And the goal was that they would integrate with the unit so well that you'd never have to talk. You could just point. But then you had the one, right? The one that, huh? what? And they're the ones. And, and not that I ever did this. They're the ones that other people have to kick, you know, to get their attention. Get over there! Moron! Again, I never did that. I was always very kind and gentle with all of the troops, no matter what. But there were those guys. But that wasn't what you wanted. Nobody wanted to do that. You wanted to have them be so integrated into the unit that you could just point, you could look, and they would go. And I think that's what we see here. Right? Don't be like a horse... Or a mule that have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they won't come near to you. 
And I think the picture is that God wants us to follow him. And we have a choice about how we're going to follow him. Will we be the kind that are so close to him that he can just look, he can just point, and we'll understand what he's saying and we'll go and do it? Or are we going to be like a donkey and a mule that has no understanding, that won't do it, that has to be taken and forced? You know, we're familiar with the story of Jonah who went to Nineveh. But the story of Jonah is not the story of someone who loved God and did what God wanted him to do. Jonah jumped up and ran in the opposite direction. He was like a mule. God had to put him in a position where going to do what God wanted him to do was the only other option he had. That's not what God wants from us. God wants us to be so close to him that he can just say, do this. And our response will be, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I think implied in that God will instruct us and teach us is that he will give us the best way to go. I mean, Jesus is he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He, he can do anything. He's never wrong. And he's all love. If we take those four things and apply that to everything he calls us to do, he leads us to do. We can be sure that it will be the right thing and it will be the best thing. Even if it's not the easy thing, right? Because best thing and easy thing, how many of you know that's not the same thing? So he'll lead us along the best path for our lives. That won't necessarily be the easiest way to go. Now, if Jesus will lead us like this and if he will lead us in the best path of life. Why wouldn't anyone, why wouldn't we all just do what Jesus wanted us to do in this way? And I was thinking about that this week, and, and here's what I believe. I think when we follow Jesus, it requires us to walk by faith and not by sight. And walking by faith is, is kind of a moment-by-moment moment thing. right? It's not, I have a five-year plan. It's not long-term, long-range goals. I mean, and I'm not saying, don't be wrong, I'm not saying it's wrong to make long-range goals. I think we probably should. Wisdom uh, of Proverbs leads us to believe that planning is good. However, if you're so into your plan that you can't adjust it to follow Jesus, it becomes a problem. I can become that way. If I make a plan, then we follow the plan. Deviating from the plan wasn't part of the plan, so I'm not going to do that. But I'm... I'm going to do what I've laid out to do. I'm going to stop where I'm supposed to stop and go where I'm supposed to go. But it's really hard for me to deviate from what I have in my mind or what I have written down that I'm going to do. Following Jesus requires me to deviate from my plan. I, I, I like this verse. A man's heart plans his way. but The Lord directs his steps. Yeah, we make our plans. Make your plans. We ought to. Then we leave those plans in God's hands to change at any point, any time that he wants to. And the reality is when Jesus determines to change our plans, he doesn't always give us advance warning. Sometimes it's just, hey, you're going along. That's great. Turn here. Whoa. It says do something else. Nope. Time to turn here. That's what we have to do to follow Jesus. It is a, a moment by moment doing whatever he wants us to do whenever he wants us to do it. We have our plans, but all plans are subject to change. 
through the leadership of Jesus Christ, my shepherd. And again, this may not be the easy way, but it is the best way. Right? The steps of a, of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Right? When we let the Lord order our steps and direct our steps, something happens. And he, God, delights in his way. Now, here's a, the idea of way. It means our way of life, basically. Now, here's a, a basic concept. You want God to delight in your life, do what he wants you to do. It's kind of plain. If I'm not ever willing to adjust my plan to Jesus, my, my way does not delight the Lord. But if I let him order my steps, and I, I make my plans, and I follow my plan until he says otherwise, but when he says I change, the Lord delights in my way. Now again, think about the greatness of this. The God of the Bible takes pleasure in our lives. I mean, how awesome is it that Jesus looks at us and says, that's mine. Right? And that's kind of the idea of He delights in our way. Don't you want the Lord to delight in the way you live your life and the things you do? There's only one way to do it. Let Him order your steps. Make your plans, but allow Him to change them when and how He wants. But there's another reason that following and letting Him order our steps is important. Though He fall. He shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Following Jesus, it doesn't mean we're never going to fail. Our sinful nature is always there. Galatians 5 says that the spirit pulls us one way and the flesh pulls us another. And so there is always going to be a pull to do what we want to do instead of what Jesus wants us to do. So I can be all in to following Jesus, but at some point feel the flesh pulling me to go here. And I can do it. Right? Because in the end, I always have a free will. I always have the ability to make that choice. And so I stumble. But look at the, what he says. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. See, there's a difference between stumbling whether it's into sin or rebellion or whatever, and there is in falling beyond recovery. Some people, when they fall, they never get up out of it. That becomes the new way of their life. They never, they never make it out of that. Reality is they were probably had not been following Jesus for a very long time. But the believer, the one that's following Jesus close, letting him order his steps, he may still fall. But he's able to, to get back up. Why? Not because the believer following Jesus is so great. Not because the believer following Jesus has it all figured out and he musters it up. Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. You see, it's not that, that we keep ourselves from falling down that we can't get up. It's that God keeps us from falling down to the point that we can't get up. I've often thought about this in relation to, to holding my daughter's hands when they were little. And it had to be when they were little because they wouldn't let me do it now. But when they were little, we could be walking. And sometimes they stumbled if we walked at the park. I mean, have you ever walked at the park? Sidewalk's not exactly level all the time, is it? So stumble and fall. But what kept them from falling and face planting? Well, I had them in my hand. And I was strong enough to keep them from falling all the way down. Now, 
Now, there were also times, and I'm sure your kids never did this. But they would fall down because they didn't want to do what I wanted them to do. What kept them from falling down to the point they couldn't get back up then? I was still stronger than they were. The person who follows after Jesus, they're not always going to make the right decisions. Sometimes they will stumble just, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. I fell. The Lord holds them and keeps them from falling down beyond recovery. He sets them back up. He dusts them off and he sends them on his way. And then sometimes they'll fall into rebellion. And they'll fall down and they'll... But he doesn't let us go. I mean, how many... Raise your hand if you have wandered at times from the Lord. God knew you and God called you and God saved you. But then you began to push back. Did God just say, well, bye. I didn't want you here anyway. No, not with me. And all the times I've rebelled, God said, oh, come here, son. That's awful stupid what you're trying to do over there. And he pulled me back. Listen, when we follow the Lord, our hand is in his. And yeah, we may stumble. And yeah, we may fall away. And we may pull back. But his hand is going to keep us and it's going to drag us and it's going to draw us. And stand us back up, dust us off, and keep us going along the way. This is the kind of relationship that we're supposed to have with Jesus. But this isn't something that's theoretical. This is supposed to be real. We really can be led by him. at so much that he just looks and we know that that's what he wants us to do. So much that, if, again, verse 5, that they don't follow a stranger. How many of you know that not every piece of advice you get is Jesus' advice? How many of you know that not every thought that goes through your mind is a Jesus thought? How do we know the difference between a Jesus thought and a sinful thought, a fleshly thought, good Jesus advice or bad worldly advice? When we're close to Jesus, we recognize the difference. And he holds us in his hand and he keeps us from falling down to the point that we cannot be picked back up. And he gets us back on the right path. This, this is the relationship we're meant to have. And this kind of relationship, it changes everything about who we are and about how we are. And then finally, I receive life from Jesus. There's at least two times in this passage where it mentions that Jesus gives us life. And each time, the life he gives us is described in different ways. But the first is in verse 10, and it's abundant life. The thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. They may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Now, there's a lot that goes into abundant life that we don't have time to discuss today. The part I want us to understand today is that abundant life refers to the quality of life on the earth. While I live here and now, There is a quality of life that Jesus wants me to have. And the quality of that life is an abundant life. And the abundant quality of life that Jesus wants me to have, it is wrapped up in what the Bible calls the great and the precious promises of God. When it comes to the promises of God, we can wonder, how do we know if God will actually do that for me? How do I know 
that I can have that and it will be true for me? The answer is Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. I can know that every promise is mine because Jesus has secured those promises for me. Part of what it means to be a sheep that follows the shepherd is that every promise is mine. This verse is so good. All of the promises of God are in him, in Jesus. Yes, and in him. Amen. To the glory of God through us. So all the promises of God. Because of Jesus, they're yes. Yes. They're amen. Let it be. For the glory of God. Do you realize that God is glorified when we believe one of his promises enough to act on it and it comes true? Every time God fulfills his word in us and through us and for us, he receives glory. Whether it's glory that we give him because we recognize his work in our lives, whether it's glory other people give him because they recognize the work in our lives. And it's through us. Right? I mean, think about that. God plans to glorify himself through us. Now, how does God plan to glorify himself through us? By doing what he said he would do. If we believe in Jesus. Every promise in this book, it is ours through Jesus Christ. Right? So, can I, no matter what I've done, where I've been or how I've lived, can I be free from condemnation forever, free, forever free to the point where I will never be judged as a sinner in the courts of the Lord? Yes. Amen. You can. Regardless of what's going on in my life, no matter how how bad things are, no matter what's going on in the world, who the president is, what's going on in the Middle East, can I have a peace that the world cannot understand? Yes, amen, you can. No matter what's going on in my life, what's going on in the world, can I abound with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes, amen, you can. Can I truly be dead to the power of sin in my life? So much so that I don't have to do what my sinful nature desires. Yes, Amen. You can. There is not a promise in the book that isn't yes and amen in Jesus. That is an abundant life. That's the life we're we're meant to have. We are meant to live an abundant life in Christ. Not a barely get by life. Not everything stinks, but I'm going to make it life. An abundant life. Because all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Through Jesus for us. So that God can bring glory to himself. But there's also eternal life. Jesus says in verse 29. My father who has. I'm sorry, verse 28. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now notice that eternal life is contrasted with perishing. And the picture is that if Jesus doesn't give us eternal life, we are perishing, dying. It's not physical death, it's a spiritual death. Now the question we might have is, well, why 
Why would I be perishing? Why would I be dying spiritually? The answer to that is sin. See, there is an an unalterable law given by God that says the wages of sin is death. Every sin earns something from the courts of the Lord. That is death, but not physical death, spiritual death. The death described in Revelation 21 is the the second death. And that's what we we all, that's what we've all learned in our life. That if we were to look at the Ten Commandments, we would see that we have all violated God's command at one point or another. And, And really, that's the essence of sin. The essence of sin is to break one of God's commandments. The problem with breaking one of God's commandments is we can't fix it after that. Right? If, I, if I keep nine out of ten, that's not good enough. The law grades on a pass or a fail scale. Either I pass by perfectly keeping them all or I fail. Those are the only options. And it's pretty difficult to pass because it's not a matter of today I passed. Right? Today I knuckled under and today I kept all ten commandments. It's really that I've kept every one of all the commandments from the day I was born to the day I died. And I never once at any point violate the letter or the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is what it actually says. For instance, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the letter of the law. What's the spirit of the law? Jesus said in Matthew 5 or 6 that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you have already sinned in your heart. The letter of the law was don't commit adultery. Spirit of the law was don't even lust after someone. The letter of the law was you shall not kill. Spirit of the law was don't call someone a fool. Don't say raka to them. Don't despise them. Don't be angry without cause. That's the spirit of the law. And we just haven't kept the letter or the spirit of the law completely on any of them. And so that leaves us with this wage, this thing that we've earned, this death, this perishing. But God doesn't want that for any of us. God has far better plans for our lives than for us to perish. His desire is that we would have life, abundant life now, eternal life in the future. But he can't just excuse sin. He he can't just say, Stacy's a good guy. I'll let him slide on that. He can't do that and be just. God has to give every sin its just punishment. So Jesus came. And Jesus came as a lamb to take the penalty for our sins. He, he came to lay down his life for the sheep, says in verse 11, to give his life for the sheep. But he came to die, to take the punishment that we deserve so that we could be free, that we could receive grace. And because Jesus has come and because Jesus has given his life, God now can and will give us Grace and mercy and eternal life. All of the, the debt that we've earned through our sin, all of that can be taken away. All of the wages that we've earned can be attributed, given to Jesus and his righteousness be given to us so that we stand before God with the righteousness of Christ. And that comes, that comes only through faith in Jesus. But there is no way to go from perishing to having eternal life without intentionally turning from my sin and turning to Jesus. Believing 
that he gave his life for me, believing that he rose again on the third day, believing that if I call upon him, he will save me. And then actually calling upon Jesus. But a great promise is if I call upon the Lord, I will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then we will be given eternal life. See, this is the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to have an abundant quality of life right now. We're supposed to have eternal life from this point on. It only comes from Jesus. But when we have a relationship with Him that allows us to grab hold of abundant life and live in light of eternal life, I mean, that, that changes everything, right? I mean, how, how could it not? How could God dying in my place not change everything? How could Jesus taking my punishment not change everything? It just does. It, it changes all that we are and all that we do and all that we think. It, it changes us completely. Years ago, I read a, or I watched a video. And the guy was uh, defending the reliability of Scripture. And he, it was a couple of hour video. And he gave all these reasons why you can depend upon Scripture and why it was reliable and true and, and accurate. And then he came to the conclusion and he said what was my favorite part of the video and the only part I actually remember. And here's what he said. He said, but more importantly, through reading the scripture, I have met Jesus. He has changed my life. I like that. He didn't need all of those proofs to know that Jesus was real. He knew Jesus. He didn't know about Jesus. He knew Jesus. And knowing Jesus it changed everything for him. So the question to you this morning, do you know Jesus? Let's stand as our music.